0: Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Thanks so much, Roger. Motivational quotes are a, a defining characteristic for millennials. Uh, if you're online for less than a minute, you'll get one come through your feed or pop up, pop up in an ad. Uh, here's some classics. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love a llama? Uh, but motivational quotes uh, on posters have been around for ages, as early as the 1920s, like this one. That's not my job. A sure way not to get ahead. Very motivating. Uh, and they became a staple aesthetic on office walls. They're so entrenched now, there's a whole movement in reaction against them. Uh, one such example is a website called despair.com. Uh, which has a bunch of demotivational posters claiming that motivational products don't work, but our demotivator products don't work even better, uh, with classics on work such as uh, sacrifice. All we ask here is that you give us your heart. Or tasks. By doing just a little every day, you can gradually let the job completely overwhelm you. Uh, or work. When I was told I had to pull my weight around here, I didn't realise that included everyone else's. Now, these are obviously a little bit cynical and funny, but I suspect many of us, while laughing, are also nodding our head along in agreement because for all its promise and necessity, it seems that work is just a necessary evil. And so the idea of Christ being at the centre of work might seem to be as futile as trying to mix water and with oil. But that's where we're going today, to see, firstly, that work is good, then that work is also bad, Uh, and finally, how Christ can be at the centre of work. So, firstly, work is good, because, straight off the bat, it's God's idea, and he's a worker himself. Uh, Right from the beginning, we see this. For six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and then we're told, by the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. You ever heard anyone say, well, work was heavy this week? Well, I think it's fair to say uh, that God's working week was a good deal heavier, but not in a bad way. There was a lot going on, but it was all good. Time and time again we're told in Genesis, God creates something, uh, plants, animals, people, he sees it and he says it's good, it's very good, in fact. It's not a necessary evil that came in the picture later, the work, or something only people have to do, but is beneath God. No, work is a joy for God. And he's made it so that people, the people he make, uh, made, can work too. He makes the man to work. He plants a garden for him, he waters it, so that he can work it. So we read later on in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord took the man, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God made the man to work. But in this we see it's actually God caring for his creation through the work of the man. As he gives the man a woman to help him with that work, God cares for the creation through people working it. Uh, Psalm 145 says, God gives everyone their food at the proper time. And uh, the reformer, Martin Luther, suggests God does this through a working economy and production processes and farmlands, through people working. He says God could easily give you grain and fruit without your ploughing and planting, but he does not want to do so. Instead, he chooses to provide for everyone through farmers and bakers and retailers and website programmers and truck drivers and everyone who works in getting certain goods and services to people. God gives a city, for instance, security through lawmakers Police officers and those working in government and politics. God cares for our material and civic needs through the work of people. So work is good. It's the way God cares for all people. But it's also the way He cultivates the world that He's made. As we read in Genesis, uh, we read in Genesis 1. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. And said to them, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." Apart from the, the inherent dignity of work, given that we're made in the divine worker, we're made in His image. God made the world to need ongoing work; it needed to be filled and subdued. Uh, for people to fill the earth is to make a society and a civilization. God could have just snapped his fingers and created millions of people instantly, but instead he made it people's job to build and develop a society. And like God provides the water and the grain and the sun for the work of producing and delivering food, so he provides the institutions of marriage and government for the work of filling the earth and subduing it. Subdue, not in the sense of exploit it, but more steward and and cultivate it. A, A bit like the way God worked with what was there at, to start with at the beginning. What was formless and empty, he cultivated and he gave shape to things, separating this from that, making different things of the same kind, You know, plants, animals, people. Subdue, then, is a good word to describe intentional creative labour. And that's what God calls people to in their work. And through this, God continues to cultivate creation. Work is good, and not just the paid variety, but the work of a parent, of a citizen, of a student, all work, as long as it's not immoral, uh, is not only an inherently dignifying activity, it's God's ongoing means of caring for and filling and cultivating this world for everyone's good. A while ago, I was playing playing hide and seek with my youngest daughter, uh, Safi. And it was her turn to hide. So I gave her 30 seconds or so and then uh, went around the house looking for her. I couldn't find her. And she was getting restless for me to find her. So she called out from the lounge room where she was hiding. So I went in. But do you think I could find her? I just couldn't. And maybe I was having a bit of a man look. I knew she was there somewhere. Uh, she was calling out. She called out. I just couldn't see her. Well, in the same way, it's good to remember that while we may not feel like God is near us or with us in our work as you cook another meal for the kids or as you punch out some code or as you do jury duty or line up for a vaccination or sit for another exam or practice for a concert or file a bunch of paperwork or crunch some numbers or lift a stack of bricks or drive across town or work a machine or whatever work it is that you're doing, even though it might not feel like God is with you, in your work, the simple fact is, a little bit like my SAF, uh, he's there. He's just hidden behind all work, caring for and building and cultivating the world and society that we live in, which should make us always happy and thankful to him in all our work. But clearly, uh, that's not always the case. Which brings us to uh, the second point. Work is bad. Not because it's bad in and of itself, as we've just seen, but because our experience of it is bad or our attitudes uh, towards it is bad. And that is all down to sin. So firstly, our experience. After the first man and woman disobey God, God punishes them, saying to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The work of filling the earth, of creating a a good society, just got a whole lot harder. And this is not just for Adam and Eve, it's for all of us who followed in their rebellious footsteps and suffered the same consequences. Childbirth will begin and end in a scream. And whatever exactly your desire uh, will be for your husband and he will r- rule over you, whatever that means, all agree it's not good. The intimate relationship of a husband and a wife will suffer from misunderstanding, frustration, conflict and unhappiness. A- and this gives a window, a bit of a window, into the effect of sin on all relationships. It wrecks them all, whether it's the state of family or cultural pursuits of art or technology or bodily functions of sexuality or eating, any relationship at all. Within creation, sin wrecks them all. And that's not all. As God goes on to say to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So along with filling the earth and subduing it, the work of caring for the earth and providing food and sustenance from it just got harder too. And frustrating and painful and exhausting, and unending. And who hasn't felt this in their work? Who hasn't been frustrated and ground down by trying to get things done, but has been stopped or frustrated by things outside of your control, or by some conflict or misunderstanding in the workplace, or bad attitudes and behaviour, both yours and, and others. All these thorns and thistles that we experience in our jobs, they're here because of sin. And they're not going away this side of heaven, work will always be hard and painful. But work is also bad because of our attitude towards it, as we turn from God and our sin and then treat work like an idol or an imp. On the one hand, we might be loving work like a god, as we look to find our hope and our satisfaction in our work as we look to it for our happiness and fulfilment or as we draw our identity from it. A good way to see if this is the case is to note uh, what we sacrifice on the altar of work. The entrepreneur and uh, visionary businessman, uh, Elon Musk, he's been married multiple times, sometimes to the same women, and has had multiple children to multiple partners and some explanation of this churning of partners is his reflection on how he never wants to be alone. Then he never wants to wake up alone. But they end on moving. They end up moving on because of his work. He says, uh, "This, uh, no one should put this many hours into work. This is not good." That's what he himself said of his own work. Uh, Elon has sacrificed relationships on the altar of his work. It's his functional God, it's what he loves. I wonder what we sacrifice on the altar of our work. Relationships, time, effort, thoughts, worries, church, integrity, honesty, just to get ahead. If the thought of losing your job fills uh, us, us with deep fear and a despairing disorientation, if we can't imagine ourselves separate from our work, whether that's being a parent or an office worker or whatever, then it might be that at heart, our work defines who we are as we work hard at it. Or that it's we're convinced it's through our work that we'll forge a, a place for ourselves in the world, that we'll be someone, that will secure the good life. In this, our work is our God, as we love it more than the one who gave it to us. So our attitude to our work can be bad, as we love it, like a god, or even as we hate it, like a demon. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the teacher character in the, middle, uh, uh, in the middle, in the biggest chunk of that book, he sets on a bunch of life projects to find meaning and happiness, from learning wisdom, to the pursuit of pleasure, to then work. But at the end... Uh, He concludes that living for the accomplishment of concrete goals and the getting of wealth and influence, all that work promises, that this was pointless. He says this, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. We can't control what happens to any of our work accomplishments, no matter how good the work is, uh, once we're dead. All that effort, for what? And so, if our hope is in our work, then we'll fall into despair and anxiety, fretting restlessly over how meaningless it all is. In the play uh, *Amadeus*, we follow Antonio Salieri, sorry, Saliera, uh, a peer of the famous and talented Mozart. And although Antonio is quite a successful composer himself, nonetheless he, he's desperate, so desperate to be as good as Mozart. Uh, He prays God, giving the same talent and the same fame, and when that doesn't happen, he's not just disappointed, he's he's angry at God and and heartbroken and incapable of enjoying his own successes. If like this, our disappointment and frustration at work makes us angry at God, uh, and it feels like heartbreak, It keeps us up at night and makes us despise our work so that we can't enjoy anything that we accomplish, then it might be that we're hating our work and treating it like an imp, even though it's a gift that we should be thanking God for. So, work is bad as we experience it under God's curse for sin and as we treat it like an idol or an imp in our sin. Which brings us to our final point. Christ at the centre of work, which must first start with God's work in Christ. In his great love, God made us alive with Christ. Although we were dead to him in our sin, through faith in Christ's death on that cross, God's forgiven us. He's forgiven us all of our sin, including loving our work too much or hating it. And through Christ's resurrection from the dead, God's promised us Eternal life, a life beyond death where the frustrations and the struggles of our work will be something like Jesus' scars, just a reminder of a life forever eclipsed in glory as Jesus wipes every tear from our eyes. A life here and now, while we wait though, that's not simply just grinning and bearing it until we die, but a life overflowing with thankfulness. As the Apostle Paul writes, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. When it comes to living in Christ, whatever we're doing, it'll always and should always include thankfulness because in Christ we know God and his great love for us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that it's in him we find rest for our souls and so we can trust him in everything and thank him for every good thing that he's given us like work, no matter what work we're doing. As Paul says elsewhere, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Whatever work we're doing right now, no matter how frustrating it might be, or insignificant it might seem, the Lord has assigned it to us. And because we can trust him, we can always be thankful in our lot. Thankful that we know God in Christ, thankful for the inherent dignity of being a worker, thankful that God continues to graciously serve and build and cultivate the world through people's work, even our own work. Having Christ at the centre of our work then will mean firstly overflowing with thankfulness in our work. So, as a parent, as a citizen, as a builder, as a boss, an employee, a volunteer in church, a a student, whatever our job, we need to thank God for it and make a habit of thanking him for it, to train ourselves to be overflowing with thankfulness. And this gratitude for God, to God for our work, it'll free us from uh, sickening, the sick, sickening slavery of loving it as a God or the crippling despair of hating it as a demon. We'll be free in our work then simply to love God and our neighbour, which is what Jesus calls us to as believers, to love God and our neighbour. Which at the very least will mean praying for those that we work with and for. As Paul writes elsewhere, I urge them, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, we're to pray for those that we work with and for, those in authority, so that we might live peaceful and godly lives with them and so that they might know Jesus and be saved. That's our job, on the job, as believers. We're to love and serve those we work with and for by praying for them. Uh, what's more, Paul uh, writes elsewhere of slaves and masters, which can be applied to workers and their bosses or, and to students and their teachers, uh, saying this, uh, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Love for your boss or your teacher, it's to obey them from the heart, not just when they're watching you. Why? Because we're to serve them as if we're serving the Lord. So it's worth asking as a worker or as a student, how can I serve my boss? How can I serve my teacher today as I would serve Jesus? Certainly by listening to them and giving them the respect they deserve, certainly not slagging off about them to each other behind their back. And bosses and teachers are to serve their employees and students in the same way, with Christ in mind, as Paul goes on. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. So as a boss... Or as a teacher, it's worth asking, how can I serve my workers or my students today? How can I be more clear in my expectations, in my instructions, and more patient, maybe, with different learning styles and abilities? How can I best set people up to succeed and avoid playing favourites? And Paul also talks of the job of children and parents. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's their job, to love their parents by obeying them, especially if it's in things that are aimed at helping you grow in knowing Jesus. So kids, are you listening to your parents when they ask you to help out around the house or when they urge you to read the Bible and to pray? Because that's your job. And parents, they have a job too. As Paul goes on, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers uniquely, but not alone, not solely, have the job of bringing up their children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. As much as providing for their physical needs and emotional needs, parents are to give their kids spiritual instruction. This is this is actually to serve them and to love them. So parents, how are you going in helping your kids? read the bible and pray are you encouraging them as much as possible in this uh, uh, and and to do church even in this online space whatever our job is we're to do it out of love for our neighbor and not just our immediate neighbors but those who our work touches maybe further afield whether that be the customers or consumers of our work or the leaders and members of our church family, or the fellow citizens and community leaders, will love them by doing a good job. As the Apostle Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Living good lives, amongst other things, surely includes our jobs. In our work then, we're to conduct ourselves in such a way that God is glorified one day for it, which surely includes not just the way that we treat people we work with, but the way that we do the work itself. As Paul says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. A way to glorify God would seem to be that whatever job we do, that we not only do it lovingly, but that we do it well. And so to upskill in our workplace or to learn to do the job better or to do that course or those studies, to find out the rules, uh, to abide by them or work hard at learning more uh, and really taking it on board, all for the purpose of doing a good job, it's actually to glorify God. In the film, uh, Chariots of Fire, about the famous Christian Olympian Eric Little, there's a scene where his missionary father says, you can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. So whatever job we've got, parent, student, worker, boss, citizen or leader, let's glorify God by peeling our spud, so to speak, as best as we can, by serving well and going the extra mile to do a good job out of love for God and out of love for our neighbour. So although sometimes it might feel like work is a necessary evil, in Christ we know it's actually a good gift from our gracious God. Not our God or a demon. And so we'll face the frustrations in it with hope and thankfulness as we look to love God and our neighbour by serving them and doing our job well. And I'm going to pray to that end. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we know you in and through your wonderful work of saving us in Jesus. We thank you for what he has accomplished by dying on that cross and rising from the dead, that we know you, our Father. And we know that you are good and that you as the first worker... Dignify work as we do it for you. Please help us in whatever work that you have assigned us to be loving you and our neighbour and doing a good job so that you may be glorified. For Christ's sake and in his name we pray these things. Amen.